Thank you, worship team. You may be seated. Good to see you all this morning. Thanks for coming to the house of the Lord. We're always thrilled that you're here with us. We're going to jump right into this thing this morning, not waste any time with introduction. If you have a Bible with me, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at the story of the man who was possessed by a demon living out in the cemetery, driven away from humanity, chained and bound and broke those shackles and was in complete, complete desperation. It's Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read through 20 verses very quickly. Would you join me if you would? They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do you do with what? What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, I urge you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What's your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to see and saw that the demon-possessed man And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The the message today is when desperation connects with Jesus. Desperation is an interesting word. It's defined as rash or extreme behavior and from all appearances certainly this man exhibited rash or extreme behavior but let's look at the root word for a moment desperate desperate in itself is an interesting word it means hopeless a situation so bad so bad it seems impossible to deal with do you have one of those in your life a desperate situation have you ever felt desperate in your life do you feel desperate today about something I sure have. I was desperate as a young man, as a young teen, to get out of a very, very difficult family situation that was completely out of control. I was desperate. I was desperate in my middle 20s 
to get free from a pornography addiction that I'd started at age 12. Karen and I were desperate in the middle 1980s to get out from under a failing business when the farm economy and suddenly the economy in our town plummeted overnight and crashed. We were desperate parents of a six-year-old boy who got run over by a riding lawnmower and cut to smithereens and was in the hospital in trauma for weeks with numerous infections from the dirt in that event that happened to him. We were desperate five years ago when we got up one morning and stood in our driveway and watched our entire home burn to the ground in front of our eyes. Everything was gone except the cars that we owned and the clothes on my back. Karen didn't have any clothes on. She wasn't naked. She just had her pajamas. Ladies had to bring her clothes from the community just so she could get dressed that morning. I was desperate three years ago working in the steel business when suddenly one day my hand got caught in the machine, computerized punching machine, and it was squeezing it so hard the only thing I could do was quickly hit the emergency button and stop it. And there was no way to restart it because it self-adjusted and we didn't know which way it was going to go, sever my thumb or not. So three men took pry bars and pried me out of that machine. I was desperate in those half-hour moments. I was desperate this summer when I went to the doctor for an annual checkup and suddenly he said, Rich, your prostate's back for the second time and it's roaring. And you can hear a pin drop in here, Pastor Steve. Maybe you're here this morning and you're desperate. Some of you are desperate to get out the door for another cigarette. Some of you are desperate to get home so you can have another drink. Some of you are desperate to get a little more meth or a little more marijuana. Some of you are desperate to be recognized that you even exist. And you're desperate to be accepted in your lives because you think nobody cares about you. Some of you are desperate for your marriage because it's on the fringe of falling apart. Or maybe you're already talking about divorce. And maybe you've already been there, but you're still desperate for it if God would only rescue you out of it. Or maybe you're desperate for your job because it's just not working out. Or maybe it's just something ugly and hard to get up and go to work in the morning because of the relationships there. You're desperate. Or maybe you're just desperate for meaning and purpose in your life. What in the world are we here for? What am I here for? I'm desperate to discover my purpose and meaning in my life. Today we're devoting, as Pastor Steve shared, we're devoting these services to prayer. You have complete permission to get out of your chair at any moment, even while I'm preaching, and go to the four corners and have somebody pray for you in your desperation or whatever need you might have. They're willing and able. We've got some young folks from the, representing the youth ministry. We've got our senior citizens. We've got our regular, uh, whatever regular is. Sorry, guys. <clears throat> 
That was cruel. I, I did not mean that. Pastor Steve said, every time you get up here, it's like jumping off a cliff. I just jumped off. We want you to feel the freedom to get up and go and be prayed for. Because we believe in the power of prayer. It's one of our three pillars that we stand on. Because God hears and God changes when we cry out to Him. You see here in this text this morning, Jesus heals a man whose life is a mess. It's a royal mess. It's completely out of control. His situation really couldn't get any more desperate in his life. Something outside of himself has come in and he's uh, taken control, complete control of his whole physical and spiritual life. Demons have moved in and seized him. And you go, Rich, what in the world is that? Well, demons... Demons are the things that we call fallen angels. Revelation 12 says that they fell with Satan. When Satan was cast out of heaven in Revelation 12, the great dragon Satan was hurled down called the devil who leads the whole world astray. And he was healed to the earth and his angels with him. Revelation 12:4 says that he took one-third of the angels of heaven and they were cast down. Why? Because they rebelled against God. They wanted to be higher and more authoritative than God. They wanted God's position. And God said, no, you're out of here. Whoosh. Roman, uh, Matthew 8:28 tells us that demons are fierce. Their evil forces of Satan are on the move against believers. You say, well, how do I as a believer who surrendered myself to the Lord Jesus Christ, how do I respond to this demon thing? Well, look at the, the Bible text on the screen with me, Ephesians chapter 6. Do we have to be worried about demons? No, as believers, we don't have to be worried. But Paul says it's real. There's a battle, a spiritual warfare battle that's constantly going on around us. And we need to be aware of it. He says, therefore, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, our struggle is not against necessarily so much the things of this world, although it is, but there's even a greater struggle against our enemy Satan and his demons who are quickly and constantly at us trying to get us to deny Christ, to walk away from Christ, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and to rob us of eternal love and joy and peace and eternal life. So do you and I have to be scared of demons? No, the answer is absolutely not. There's no ruler, no authority. There's on heaven or earth that's subject no ruler or authority other than Jesus because all authorities are subject to him. Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Well, you may say, well, that's good for Jesus, but what about me? Well, the Bible says as a believer, I'm secure in Christ. I don't have to be fearful and I don't have to worry. The Bible says I'm born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. Verse John 5:18. The Bible says I'm hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3.3. 3. The Bible says I've been established, anointed, and sealed by God and hidden with Him. And I've been given a spirit 
I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. Where did I get those verses? I got them right off of this card that I gave you at the end of December about your identity in Christ. You see, when you and I believe and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we pick up our cross and follow him, we give him everything. We don't hold anything back. When we surrender to him, our identity is sealed with him and we're secure. By the way, if you don't have one of these, stop at the information desk and pick one up and take it home and read it and reread it and read it again. Well, we're coming to the text here this morning in Mark chapter 5. Let's step off the cliff into it. But here's the thing. You can't really get the full impact of Mark chapter 5 unless you understand the preceding passage before it in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. It's in that passage in Mark chapter 4 that Jesus gets in the boat initially with his disciples and they begin to sail across the Sea of Galilee to get to Mark chapter 5 where the Gadarenes territory is. And on the way there in the sea, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, it's like eight miles wide. Storms come up at a moment's notice, and the storm does come up, and it's so fierce. Jesus is in sleep in the back of the boat, but the storm's so fierce that it's crashing over the sides, and the disciples are panicking. And they go and wake Jesus up, and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to perish here? And it says there that Jesus wakes up. And he rebukes the wind, and he tells the sea, peace, be still. And then he turns to the disciples, and this is really important. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples ask themselves. Who is this? This is the Son of God who has complete authority over all of creation. The wind and the sea obey him. Well, we come to Mark chapter 5 then, after that sea and the wind have calmed down. It says there in verse 1, they come to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Some of your translations read Gadarenes. It's the same place. Why did Jesus go here? He goes. He went here because... There's ten towns located here. It's full of immigrants, Greek traders, uh, Gentiles, along with a minority of Jews who are living here. But when he goes there, people really respond to him. It says there in Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, that large crowds followed him when he came to this area. And Jesus steps out of the boat there in verse 2, and immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Get this, the Son of God who came to the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes came face to face with desperation at this moment. This man, verses 3 to 8, says he lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore. They kept trying to tie him up with chains and shackles, and he kept just breaking them loose. And night and day among the tombs, they would hear the shrieks going on at night. And he was cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, verse 6, he ran and he fell down before him. And verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, 
What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I urge you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now that man was running towards Jesus as Jesus stepped out of the boat. It was the demons who were running towards Jesus. But I believe with all my heart that that man in his desperation was running towards Jesus as well. Somewhere deep inside of him, in his heart of hearts, he was hoping. He was just hoping. Maybe he was even praying all this time, living among the cemetery and the tombs, praying that something would come and rescue him. Something would set him free. Something would come to break the bondage of desperation in his life. You see, when... uh, With Jesus, whenever unclean spirits are around and Jesus came on the scene, they were always coming to him. It's an amazing thing if you track the 13 times in the Gospels where Jesus deals with demons. They were always running at him and falling down before him. They were always acknowledging him. They were always crying out, You are the Son of God. Jesus was in the synagogue in Mark chapter 1, verse 23, and that man with an unclean spirit was in the church. And he suddenly cried out, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God, Jesus of Nazareth. What do you want with us? See, Jesus was their higher authority. He was their great opponent. He was the one who had arrived on the earth for the very purpose of destroying the works of the devil, 1 John 3.8 tells us. And as he came running at Jesus that day in the Gerasenes, Jesus asked him, what's your name? What's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Well, in those times, Jesus' time, the Legion could be any number from 600 to 6,000. I looked up the message translation just for the fun of it this week. And instead of Legion, they used the word mob. He had a mob inside of him. I love that. There was a mob of demons that he was dealing with inside of himself. And Mark, in chapter uh, 5, verse 10 says, And the demon begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Why not? Because this country was ripe for demon. It was ripe for Satan's work. This country was full of, uh, of idolatry and godlessness and denial of God, it was right. They made good candidates. They offered great opportunity for the work of Satan. They were what we would call good fodder for Satan. They were, made, they were open and they were vulnerable to anything Satan wanted to throw at them. And there was a great herd of pigs who was feeding on the hillside. And the demons, the legion, the mob begged him, saying, Send us over to those pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and they went over to the pigs. And as soon as they entered the pigs, the pigs took off in wildness down the hill and jumped into the Sea of Galilee and drowned there. Why did Jesus allow this to happen to those pigs? Well, number one, because pigs are unclean. They're just like the demons. They're morally filthy. You see, unclean means morally filthy. It's unacceptable to God. These pigs, in Jewish understanding, were unclean, according to the holy word of God. They were morally filthy, just like the demons. So it was natural to let the demons, who are morally filthy, go inhabit something else that was morally filthy. 
But there's something even more important than that. The second reason that Jesus let them go into the pigs was Jesus wanted to see the people. Get this. Jesus wanted to see wanted the people to see just how powerful and destructive Satan and his demons really are. He wanted them to see that this is nothing to be messing around with. This one called Satan and demons. And as soon as those pigs drowned, the herdsmen fled to town, and people began to come out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus, verse 15, and they saw, get this, they saw the demon-possessed man who was sitting there, who had the legion, the mob inside of him. He was sitting there clothed and suddenly in his right mind. Hallelujah. That's what God does to a life. And he was in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described them of what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Can you imagine for a moment? Can you imagine what this man who'd just been set free actually felt like in his new life? Can you imagine the depth of love and joy and peace and calmness that now was saturating his very soul? Our God so powerful, so able to set any captive free, no matter how desperate you are in life. A legion of demons, a mob of demons couldn't stop Jesus from removing that man's desperation. And nothing's going to stop Jesus from removing yours if you'll let him. Nothing will stop him. You see, when you repent and when you surrender control to Jesus Christ and when you start living your life for Him instead of for yourself, when you say, Jesus, take all of me, I don't hold anything back from you, I want you to have all of me, there's a depth of love and joy and peace and calmness that will saturate your soul just like it did this man here. You'll experience the depth of love and joy and peace of Christ that will flood you in such a magnificent, holy, gaudy, majestic way. You know, it's always interesting to witness the response of people in times like this when the miraculous happens, when Jesus comes on the scene. It's always interesting to, re- to see the response of people when truth is presented to them. Some accept it. Some kind of like it. Some take it for a little while. And some totally reject it. That's what it, the Bible tells us in, Ma- in uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 13 to 20, the parable of the sowers. What do you do with the truth of Jesus when it's presented to you in the fullness of God in your life? Well, there's the hard-hearted person, Jesus says, who doesn't even flinch when the truth is presented. They say, blah, get out of here. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. Who listens to that garbage? Or there's the person who lets life get in the way. This is the person who hears the truth, and they like it a little bit. It sounds kind of good. But the problem is that they hear about Jesus and then life happens. And the tough 
things of life begin to happen in their lives. And their focus turns to their trials instead of on the one who can rescue them from their trials. And they fall away too. Then there's the third person. I call him the anxious person. This is the person who's always worried about what's going to happen. Yeah, they hear the truth. They like the truth. But they're more concerned in life in general with being successful. With looking good in the eyes of other people. Of having a good name among others. Instead of being right with the holy God who's bought them and redeemed them and purchased them. Honestly, this is the average church attendee in the United States of America. This anxious person. This was me for too many years. Too many years were wasted worrying about whether I looked good, whether things turned out right in the eyes of others, rather than looking at what God wanted for my life. Then there's the fourth person. I love this. This is the hearing person, I call him. The one who hears the word and believes it and accepts it and fully embraces it and says, God, bring it on. Bring it on. I give you everything in my life. Bring it on. I want to experience everything you want me to have. This is the person that Jesus says bears lots of fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. This person loves sharing about Jesus with other people and seeing what God uh, and telling them what God has done in their lives when they've believed. In verse 18 of our text, Jesus was getting into the boat. And the man who'd been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. (laughs) Did you get that? The guy who had a mob inside of him, who's now in his right mind, sitting there dressed. He was naked. I didn't even tell you that. He was naked before. And he says, Jesus, can I go with you? Can I go with you? Do you blame him? I mean, really? Why wouldn't this man who's now sitting here, having been set free from the desperate agony that he's been entombed in, and not want to be as close as possible to the one who loved him enough to rescue him and set him free? Jesus gave him a new life. Jesus, I want to go with you. But verse 19 says, He didn't permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Hey, people, Jesus wants to give you a new life. Do you want to go with him and accept what he's offering you? He wants to turn your desperation into calm, joy, peace, tranquility of eternal life. And verse 20 says, and Jesus went away, or I'm sorry, and the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Luke 8 says, he went throughout the whole city. He went through the ten cities of the Decapolis. You see, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope you understand that you have a story to tell others about what God has done in your life. Tell others what, about God's forgiveness and how he's forgiven you. 
Tell God about his, tell, tell the people about God's mercy and love on you. Tell them that they too have an invitation to repent and believe the gospel and enter the kingdom of God. And they too can experience that love and forgiveness and mercy. Tell the people that there's hope in this life of desperation. There's eternal hope beyond this world. Go home and tell your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you and given you a new life. Two weeks ago, Pastor Steve asked a question. He said, what's God calling you to do? What's God calling you to do? Last week, Ryan Block asked the question at the end. What's God doing in your life? What's he doing? The big question I think this morning is, what is it or who is it that you're going to find relief from? The disciples in the storm in chapter 4, they knew where to go. They knew the one who had supernatural power and authority over all of creation. They went to Jesus in their distress and desperation. And here in chapter 5, we see this man has been set free, and he's now in his right mind, and he's met Jesus, who has authority over all of the supernatural in this life. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has been at Peter's house where Peter's mother-in-law has been sick, and he's healed her. And he says this, That evening they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, And he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses, and he bore our diseases. Worship team, would you come, please? You know, when the tough got going, tough times came for Jesus and many of the disciples. And I'm talking about more than the twelve, but the, the greater amount of disciples, many of them, when it got tough going, they left. They deserted Jesus. And Jesus turned to the twelve, including Peter, and he asked him, he said, are you going to leave too? Are you going to go? And I love Peter's answer. It ought to be ours. To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. We're going to continue in worship, but can I ask you to do something right now? Can you begin to just say, Lord, speak to me. Holy Spirit of God, speak to me. And again, feel free to move out to the prayer corners, to the team. Go at any time, whether we're singing, whatever. Just get up and go. You can push out. Don't be embarrassed by the people who are sitting next to you. They'll let you out. If you have desire to be prayed for anything, our prayer team is ready and willing and able and empowered by God to pray for you. What's God calling you to do? What's God doing in your life? What do you need to let go of so you can be free of the desperation that's ruling over you right now. Our pastors, Patrick and Jeff, are going to be right down here in the front. Maybe you're desperate this morning because you've never really surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For too many years, people just go through the motions and they talk a talk that's not real. Have you really surrendered? Have you really laid it down with God? Have you said, Lord, I'm sold out for you. Can I go with you? Can I go with you? I believe in you. Have you really done that? Are you like that anxious person who lingers back and says, well, as long as life works out and I look good, I'm just happy the way it is. Or the heck with that. The heck with it. I don't believe in this garbage. Or the person who's sucked up by the trials and tribulations of life. Where are you this morning? Have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? There's no greater thing that you can do than that. By faith, jump off the cliff and go run to Jesus. And let him catch you because he will. Let's pray together. Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, as we listen to you, will you do in us right now what you want to do? Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Help us to listen, Lord. And help us to respond. And God, I pray specifically, if there's someone here who has not surrendered, they would come and they would talk to Patrick and Jeff in these moments. They would do what's right in your eyes. They would open themselves up for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no doubt that anything can happen in this place. The question is, is it going to happen for you? Pastor Rich just gave a great message out of the Bible and a challenge, and then there's an opportunity. And one of the great things about being raised in the community that God calls you back to do ministry is, I know how you think. Should I tell you how you think? You think that I've got all kinds of stuff that's going on. My world's falling apart. This has got to change or something's got to break or it's going to be me. And this is the problem that I'm carrying. And this is what I'm worrying about. And this is keeping me up at night. And when someone says, how are you doing? We're all raised to say, great. I'm doing fine. Thank you. And on the inside, you're dying. And, and so we are a congregation who believes in prayer. And so from here on out, what you can get used to is people in the corners during the service. there waiting for you to come to pray with you. But you have to take the step and actually do it. And, and yep, you're going to have to deal with people who think, I wonder what's going on. But the choice you've got to make is, do you want to leave here today with the same stuff, the same desperation, the same worry, the same troubles that you walked in with? Or do you want to just give them all over to God? Because the bottom line is, people are going to look at you and wonder what's going on anyway. And the great thing is when we bring our problems and our worries and our desperation and our concerns to God, they become God's, not ours anymore. So it's really up to do you. Anything can happen. The question is, what is it that you want to happen? What is it that you want to turn over to God? If we were all going to be honest, if we were all really going to allow someone to pray about, pray about the stuff that's going on inside of us, these four corners would have lines leading out of them, people waiting to be prayed for. Don't worry about what other people think about you or what they might wonder what's going on. It doesn't matter. Take your business to God and give your worries and your desperation and your concerns to Him. 
Thanks for coming this week, folks. Uh, this, the prayer people are going to be in the corners. Uh, they'll continue on. Uh, We've got another song to go. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. We'll be here Wednesday night at 6.30, next Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.